My name is Joe. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this workshop. Please join me for the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check it again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there's press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There'll be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside in the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by an ask it basket and questions. During the workshop, please keep the basket moving. The topic for this session is Newcomers 101, OA, where the rubber hits the road, and the principle is fellowship. We'll begin uh, with a selection from for today. It's page 230. My mind tries to tell me that I am not that sick. I am most certainly not insane, and I do manage my own life. My only problem is... I want to eat most of the time. If I could just find a really good diet and lose weight, I'd be okay. Yet somewhere in this rationalizing is a gut feeling that I need to be here, that there is a way out, and that this program will work for me. Let's welcome Nan as our first speaker. Hi, my name's Nancy, and I am a compulsive overeater. So I didn't know I was speaking <laughs> until last night when I flew in from the Midwest. Um, so here it goes. Um, I want to read today's reading out of, um, I think it's Voices of Recovery. What all of us have in common is that our bodies and minds seem to send us signals about food which are quite different from those that normal eaters receive, the 12 steps, 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. My disease mind tries to tell me that by compulsively eating certain foods, I can make a situation better. I now know that this is not true. I accept the fact that I react to food differently from normal eaters. I am different from a normal eater. I may also feel that my life is very different from my fellow OA members. Our compulsive eating may be the only thing we have in common, but that doesn't matter. Our desire to stop eating compulsively brings us together as one. Even the most different OA fellow shares my disease. Being part of the OA fellowship means that I never have to feel alone. My mind never operates the way a normal eater does. I accept the fact that I will always have this disease. However, now I no longer have to feel isolated, different, or ashamed. Today I can rest easy in the fact that I am not alone. And that's pretty much what's happened to me in the past, um, I would say, six years. It was in um, 2010 that once again, well, yeah, it was 2009 that once again I found myself desperate. And I had been in and out of Overeaters Anonymous at different times. And I was walking my dogs, <laughs> walking my dogs 
at the dog run trying to figure out, once again, how do I solve my problem with tears coming down, not knowing, and, and just understanding that I, I lived in a community where we had one meeting a week, and I know that I needed more than that because I was addicted to food. It wasn't a question, was I addicted to food or not addicted to food? I knew that. I was afraid to cook food at home because I knew that I would get back into the refrigerator and eat it, and I was terrified to go out to eat because I would end up eating my food plus my child's food and anybody else. Um, so, th- so that wasn't the issue. I never had a problem with was I powerless over food. My problem was trusting other people and in, in asking for help. And so I, I um, decided that I would go back online to the online meetings, although I didn't really like them. I knew that I could get more meetings in, and I thought maybe that might help me. And what I found was I discovered phone meetings. And so once I discovered the phone meetings, then I discovered the Region 2 website with all the um, tapes and in the stories and the L.A. website. And I started listening to the stories, and I started hearing recovery that I wanted. You know, they they say, you know, look for somebody who has what you want. And so I started hearing people talking about a recovery that sounded like that they had grace, that they had serenity. It wasn't that their life was perfect, but they had a way to get through it without food. And that's what I wanted. And so one day in particular, I heard a woman speak about eating a certain food that I had a problem with and not being able to control it. And so I contacted... And I don't know where this willingness came from, but I contacted the guy who managed the, the, the website, and I asked, could I have that person's contact information? And I contacted that person, and they called me, one OA person reaching out to another. And, and I asked them if they would be willing to be my sponsor, because up until that time, I had done what I'd heard in a meeting once. I had self-sponsored, which is not good. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Um, and she said, no, I can't sponsor you, but I will, I will help you until you can find somebody to sponsor that can sponsor you. And it worked and I lost weight and I found a sponsor and things were going pretty good. And then I, then I lost my sponsor and I went for a while thinking once again, that I could do it myself. I could just go to meetings and I could figure it out and it would be okay. And it didn't work. I went back to the eating and I started gaining weight and um, so then August of, like, 2009, I called her again, and she responded. She was willing to reach out and help another fellow OA, and I told her I was struggling. I told her things were going very well, and she said, why don't you come out to California? And I said, okay, this, this is not me. <laughs> so I boarded the plane in October of '09 to come to California to go to a workshop, and there I met my sponsor. And I met a lot of people in in program, and I saw what program was about. And I guess that's where rubber hits the road for me was as I started to take action, and I started to listen to what my sponsor had to say. I started to listen to what other people had to say. So my mind became open, Um, and I started to take direction. And one of the first things they said was, you need a food plan. And I was... I remember I was sitting at the table at the workshop that we were at, and I was, like, looking at the dignity of choice, trying to figure out, okay, which 
which food plan do I want? And I was trying to figure out how much food could I get. You know, I wanted more bang for the buck. That was my disease. <laughs> and my sponsor, who I just had gotten, <laughs> said, hurry up. I don't have time. Just pick one, and then we'll see what happens in 30 days. And I was just like, whoa, she's rough. <laughs> so I picked one. And and I, and I wasn't real sure that I was going to make it. And, it. and I was in craving, and I was struggling a little bit. And after a couple of weeks, it became very, very obvious that I was going to have to probably reduce the amount of carbs that I ate. And that was something that I was never going to do. In my mind, it was just like, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to, you know. And, and it wasn't her convincing me. It was me convincing me. She was just like, well, you keep on taking extra of this. And I was just like... Yes. <laughs> you don't understand. That's how I survive. <laughs> and so I just, I surrendered it. And I trust that she had a way of living that seemed sane, that she seemed sane and serene. And I gave it up. And over the course of the year, I probably lost, I think, total, I'd lost a little bit before that, uh, 100 pounds. And my life changed, and it changed in a lot of different ways. Some of the ways that it changed was that I was not, I was not stuck in fear, false events appearing real, because I would make up stuff all the time. I was, I was a scared person, and um, I would make up what other people were thinking about me, what other people were. Um, I made up all sorts of stuff. Like, I remember one time, I, I go to the dog park a lot. I have a lot of dogs. <laughs> so I'm out at the dog park, and this guy is, like, walking around the dog park. And, the, and I really make up a lot of stuff. Um, and he has this big backpack, and I'm just, like, getting anxious because I'm like, why is this guy still out at the dog park walking his dog, you know, with a big backpack? And I thought, well, maybe he's a murderer. <laughs> He's, you know, and then then he was taking some old lady's dog around the dog park, and then I realized that that's what my sponsor was talking about—that I just make up stuff. That's not what happened. I walked up to him and I, you know, I just asked him. I said, oh, "So what? What are you doing?" You know, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, I, I'm getting ready to do some mountain range with his girlfriend, and she was in much better shape than him, so he was trying to get in shape." And, and those were small bricks of my delusions that were getting kind of basically chomped down so that I could see life as it is rather than as I think it was. Because I saw it much more negative than what it is and much more scarier than what it is. And they talk about in the invitation that, you know, we find a home here. And I found a home. You know, I, I go to my meetings um, at home, we have two meetings a week at home now, and we have, and I still go to phone meetings at times, not as much as I used to, but I still utilize them. And what I found is, is that I have a, now a way to respond to life rather than to react to life, but with that requires action. And a lot of times I don't want to take that action, but because I'm connected to the program and I'm connected to a sponsor, which was Probably one of the best things that I did was to get a sponsor. Um, I'm accountable to somebody that I am going to take that action and that I am going to work the steps. Because in the past, even though I had been in OA when I was 26 for a while and I'd lost weight and I left and then when I came back in my, in my late 40s and then I kind of played around with it and I was self-sponsoring, I never did the steps. 
I would do step one, I'd do step two, and I'd do three, but I stayed away from four and five. God knows, don't do four and five. Um, But four and five was the two steps that helped me to break down the, like, the mist of being able to see that we're all kind of on this road of recovery together, um, that we're all helping each other out, and that my idea that I'm less than other people is erroneous. I'm, I have a place. And I know that after I came, I flew out to California to do my fifth step with my sponsor, and then we went, I think, down to one of the beaches. And I got my ear pierced, the, like a bar or something like that. And I came back, and this guy that I know, he was just like, oh, you got a bar in your ear. He goes, why'd you do that? And I said, I don't know. I was, you know, I was out in California. <laughs> and, he's, and then he was just like, could it be that maybe you think that you can be pretty too? Because that had been an issue in my story. And that's exactly what it was. It was like, I'm at the table. Pardon the pun. <laughs> I can sit at the table as everybody else equal. And I can have a life and I can have fun, and I can leave my past in the past. And that's what happened with the steps, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, was freeing me from my past and building new relationships. I love this program. It's changed my life. Um, you know, my weight's not exactly where I want it to be, but I have acceptance now um, that I'm okay. And this program has helped me tremendously, and it's by having a sponsor work in the steps. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nan. Uh, the ask it basket, where are we at on that? Okay, it can just, we'll just keep circulating it again through the second speaker, and then I'll grab it just before the second speaker finishes. Um, our second speaker is Colleen. Thank you. Hello, my name's Colleen, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Colleen. Welcome. Um, I'm excited to be here at the convention. Uh, four years ago, when I joined the program, um, February 6, 2012, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of slogans that fly around the rooms and that I've heard from other 12-step groups. And um, one of them is, if you want what we have, do what we do. And there were some, when I first came in, I'll start here. Uh, when I first came in, there were people going to um, the convention, which happened to be in Sacramento four years ago, and almost five. And um, so I just asked about it, and they invited me, and it turned out to be, you know, we figured out we were going to share a room. I had um, another friend in the program who went. Um, Everyone was very welcoming, and it when I came to the convention, I was so, you know, from going from a meeting to a big convention with so many people um, and hearing so many different stories, um, all these meetings and workshops and marathon meetings they have going, um, the more we can get to, the better, because um, we can find ourselves in, in someone's share. And if we can't, you know, we, 
we move on to the next one. But anyway, to um, go into a little bit of where I started, um, like I said, I came into the program four years ago, and I had been on probably 10 years of mindless eating, just going crazy. You know, in the big book, they say that they raise the bottom for a lot of people, and that was true for me. Um, my eating was bad, but it could have got a lot worse had I not found this program, and I do believe that um, God led me to the program. Um, probably 20 years ago, I was in a different 12-step program for what I thought at the time was someone else's problem, not mine, and now I know it was mine also, but you know, I, I knew the steps and the traditions. I had said them before. So when I when um, my life was unmanageable, um, God led me to find the meeting on the Internet. Um, but what had led up to that before was, um, you know, I, I always had compulsive food behaviors growing up. Um, not a lot of self-esteem. Um, everything was good, a good family life, um, good three meals a day. My mom cooked for us. She was a stay-at-home mom. We had very well-rounded meals, everything we were supposed to eat during the meal. Um, so I did pretty good all the way up until adulthood. And then I put on all my weight. And I have four children. They're all teenagers now. But at the time, I was, you know, when all the weight was coming on, weight was really easy for me to get off, you know. And then it started getting harder. And um, I went on some medication um, because I thought my kids were driving me crazy. And people were like, oh, you should go on this. So went on this medication. Medication is for some people. It wasn't for me. I didn't really need it. Um, and what happened was it bloated me up. So all this weight gain in my head, I was thinking, well, it's this medication I'm on. And um, my mom, I've always been, like, um, needy, uh, self-pleasing. And so whenever I went to, like, family gatherings, I always got compliments, you know. Oh, you look nice. And that, you know, you don't think that that matters, but it did to me. And... Then the compliments started stopped coming, and there goes my ego. I was like, oh, great, you know, no one says anything to me, but they're saying something to this one, and, you know, I need to get back on a diet or something. And um, so when my mom approached me one day and said, you know, Colleen, the family's starting to ask questions about you. Are you okay? And I immediately thought, well, it's a medication. It's bloating me up. You know, it's not me and my food, which it was. You know, um, I was able to get off the medication, and I'm doing fine without it. Um, that's why I know I, did, I was not the right person to be on that medication. But um, I kept eating like crazy. I had, um, you know, going to bed at night, not even going to bed at night, but eating until I was in a food coma. It was like I would eat and then feel like I'm drifting off into sleep. That's pretty scary. And and even then, I didn't think I was a compulsive eater. Um, diabetes does run in my family. My grandma had it. My uncle had it. He lost um, two legs. They had to amputate both of his legs. Um, these things started, 
getting to me. And I was thinking, you know, I want to see my kids um, grow up. What am I going to do? You know, so we had this major thing happen in our family, which really shook us. And for me, it shook me. And I think it was my my bottom, whatever you want to call it, eye opener message from God saying, you need to do something about this weight. That's when God led me to the computer. I found a way, a program I never thought I would ever want to be a part of. Um, I would be too embarrassed to walk in the doors 20 years before. And, um, and it was a right in my hometown. I live in a really small town. So that, again, is God. It took me a while to get to my meeting, but there were meetings like 15 minutes away. And, um, you know, they told me, just come back to meetings. I, I felt at, you know, I just wanted someone to take me under their wing right away, but I didn't know too much about the program. I just know that the steps and the traditions were familiar to me. And um, so about a week after that, I got a sponsor, and um, we went through the steps pretty quickly. But I kept thinking food-wise, um, I, you know, if these women can do it, I can do it. And every time I would see people stand up and qualify in meetings, I kept thinking, I can do that because um, um, they've done it. And reading the materials and the literature um, helped me also uh, know that there was hope. And at first, I didn't like the big book. I didn't like the traditions of 12 and 12 because um, I wasn't an alcoholic. And I was like, why do we have to, you know, learn about this? But um, God will humble you if you allow him to or your higher power. And he really did with me. And I'm so thankful, you know, that... um, I I kept in the program, and um, I kept coming back, as they say, because now I just love the big book, and I understand it better, and I know, as they say, more will be revealed, and it's true, because certain things hit us at certain times, you know, better than, we might hear him a whole bunch of times, but when that person says it, when it's my turn to understand what they're saying, Um, something I might have heard 20 times in a meeting, you know, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, But, yeah, I was, I still am trying to get over being a people pleaser, but I had a lot of that coming into the program. Um, Any kind of photo, I would position myself so that I wasn't, you know, the largest in the photo, and sometimes I still do that, so that's still... I say it is can be a trigger sometimes photos of myself. Um, but you know, I also, when I came, the promises and nine step promises seemed like a puzzle. I didn't understand them. And, um, you know, slowly, but surely I grew to love them. And, uh, the part that says we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us that, God really sent that in my life. I mean, I was always, I could, I have four kids. Um, like I said, they're all teenagers. I can run a household, but get me out in the real world just to make a decision in a store or wherever, and I don't know what to do. So um, that was before program. Sometimes I still am like that. Um, maybe I haven't given up that character defect all the way, but 
if I'm really on my program and I'm allowing God to work through me, I'm, I'm handing it over, you know, and I'm letting go. Um, but I just, I just love that part about the promises. Um, so another thing that has really kept me coming back, um, is service. You know, when I came in, I just wanted to lose weight. I thought, just get me to a decent weight. I, I didn't even think the weight that I set as my goal, I would be able to reach it, but I did. And then I got lower and now I'm at, I'm up a little bit from there. Thank you. And, um, and it's just one day at a time, you know, I'm working with a sponsor and I'm listening to people. I'm asking questions because a lot of times I thought, you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't know about the program. Why doesn't anyone talk about this? Or why doesn't anyone talk about that? Well, now I know you have to ask a question if you want, you know, and most people are willing to share with you how they do things. So it's good to ask questions. Um, so um, I'm just, I'm, I don't know what to say more about the program. It's just awesome. I'm so glad I found it. Um, this is my fourth convention. Um, sometimes I think I have a lot of recovery. Sometimes I think I don't have a, that much, but, um, God has me right where he wants me and, um, and I'm just blessed to be here and I'm glad you guys are too. Thank you. Thank you, Colleen. So let's thank our speakers one more time for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. And if you guys want to go ahead and join me up here on the stage, that'd be great. We're going to go through as many of the questions as we can. Um, You can both answer it, or one of you can, uh, whatever feels right. Um, So we'll start with the first question. What are some of the strategies to handle cravings? What are some of the strategies to handle cravings? Um, my name's Nancy. Um, calling somebody. Um, sometimes thinking it all the way through. So I know, like if I have a craving for certain things, I know what it leads to. Um, and usually that means that it's never ending, that I'll just, I kind of like give a mouse a cookie and I'll just keep on going. Um, (laughs) um, sometimes I'll write because I know that like if I've had lunch and I'm hungry, I usually have lunch around noon. And if I'm hungry, like at 1235, it's not about the food. (laughs) It's about something else. And I need to sit down and write, um, Sometimes I'll text people, but not very often. My sponsor doesn't like that. She'll say, you need to talk to a real person, which is true because I like to isolate. And um, texting is a little bit further back. So those are some of the things I do. Um, One thing I do is, you know, if the cravings get too bad, I, um, I start making the next meal, you know, chopping doing this, doing that, doing that, and then before you know it, it's time for the next meal. But as far as taking away cravings, um, I think that's right on what you said, Talk, reaching out to another member. 
um, writing, just doing some sort of activity, um, anything other than that, other than grabbing that first bite. Thank you. What have you done for the newcomer, and how was it received? Okay, um, that's a good one, and I was going to mention that in, in my share, but um, for me, sponsoring. Um, I don't know if I heard it in these rooms or some other rooms, but they say the newcomer is the most important person in the room, and I know we're important to those of us who have stuck around a little longer. Um, so go up to the newcomer afterwards, um, get their number, call them or text them. Um, but I didn't want to sponsor when I came in and someone, a friend nudged me and said, Oh, you can sponsor. And I said, no, I'm too new. And what am I going to do? I don't know how to sponsor. And they said, you'll always be ahead of that person because you already know your food. They don't, you will always be ahead when you're working on your four step. They will. So that helped also. Um, I'd agree with, with what Colleen said. Um, I was encouraged to start sponsoring. And I was also told that I'll always be ahead of other people. I guess I have a story. Um, the group that I came from, we, we were a small group, but we had a lot of pretty committed members to that group. And then we had a member who committed suicide. And that's kind of what led me to reaching outside of my area to see if I could get more support because I wasn't getting enough support. And so our group now, um, we have, like, newcomer greeters. We have people who call and, you know, check on people coming in. And I, um, they, you know, it's just it, giving service. And, and it, it can mean a lot to somebody. I think it meant a lot to me to be seen and to see people and to say, I see you. And I'm glad you're here and welcoming. So... So sponsorship in that. <laughs> what types of service have you done in OA, and what was your favorite and why? Um, okay, so I've sponsored, and currently I have three sponsees. Um, Secretary meetings. That's another part of my story I left out. When I first got here, and I said, I'm not going to take on any service. I just want to lose my weight and leave and um, don't do anything because I'm an overdoer, too. And they handed me the keys like two weeks went into the program. And I'm like, they don't even know me. But uh, so that's kind of a joke around the program, I guess. But anyway, it, service is good. And um, so I've also uh, secretaried, and I'm currently intergroup treasurer. And um, our intergroup world service delegate. Um, what I've done is sponsorship. Um, I've started meetings. I've led meetings. I've served on the intergroup as an intergroup rep. And I also have served at the business convention. And I did not want to give service when my sponsor suggested it. I was just like, mm-hmm. that's also how, why I'm here tonight. <laughs> she says, oh, by the way, I signed you up. <laughs> but I say yes now. <laughs> Instead of, you know, yes, thank you. Um, because what it, 
I get caught in fear. So giving service gets me out of it. It gets me out of myself. It gets me out of isolation. It gets me connected with other people. And then I know I have a place to belong. So service is very, very important to me. And that's kind of what I'm doing. I, I have two sponsees right now and um, done literature in groups. I've, done, I've kind of served where people have asked me to serve. So. As a chronic relapser, I feel like a newcomer. Am I a chronic newcomer? If not, what difference does it make whether I'm a chronic relapser or a chronic newcomer? Well, I think I heard once that the person who has the most recovery is the person who woke up the earliest this morning. So, um, so yeah, you know, I, I came into the program the first time when I was 26, and I got a program, I got a food plan, established what my abstinence was, lost the weight, not all of it, but most of it, and then promptly left because um, I had a life to live <laughs> and all the attention that I was getting, and, um, and then and I left pregnant, <laughs> so that kind of tells you. Um, <laughs> So I, I've had lots of relapses, and it wasn't until I don't I don't know. I mean, relapser or newcomer, just this willingness and an openness to change and to try to figure out. And that saying of you know stick around until the miracle happens. Somebody used to say that in our meeting all the time. Actually, the person who who uh, killed herself, but it worked for me. You know, and I and. In her, her dedication to the program is partly why I'm still in the program. So, I think you said it all. Um, I was just going to add one thing. That was something I heard at a convention in Palm Springs on the Big Book um, study, and that was just that's the secret of the program. If you want to know the secret of the program, it's keep coming back. Linda, would you be so kind as to start the basket one more time from your side back around? Thank you. Um, what is an OA relapse? What is an OA relapse? Um, OA relapse to me, the way that I understand it is, is, is my food plan is what I eat, specifically what I eat, and what I eat is a high-protein diet um, food plan. Um, my abstinence is when I eat or how I eat. And so if I eat not during those times, then I've broken my abstinence. So a relapse to me would be if I was eating at times other than what's specified. My abstinence and my food plan are both portable. My food plan changes based on, you know, if I have medical issues or other things that are going on, it can change. But my abstinence is black and white. So... I th but I think you can also, at least for me, I can have emotional relapses and, or spiritual relapse, which is when I get back into my stinking thinking, when I get back into um, my character defects, people-pleasing, perfectionism, um, being fear-based, you know, that self-centered fear. And, um, and then that's, that's, that's a call to me, you know. It's a barometer 
to say, hey, you got to get back to program. You need to get back to your higher power. You need to get back to being centered. And if I do that, if I journal and if I stay in contact and stuff like that, I don't get so far off the road. Um, that would be for me. Do you want to talk? Okay. Thank you. What is a sponsor, and can you do the 12 steps without one? I do not believe that you can do the 12 steps without a sponsor. That's just my personal opinion and my experience. I tried it, um, and I heard it in the meeting about self-sponsoring, and it's kind of like I've also heard somewhere where people say that the, the, the what is it, that the, the brain that got you in the problem is not the brain that can get you out, the consciousness. <laughs> and, it, and that was from one of the people in California that I had called because I was into another, like, they come in a bag and they're crunchy. has <laughs> back in them again. And I called her and she said, she says, she says, you know, and she was just so loving. She was just like, oh, well, how many did you eat? And I was just like, one bag. <laughs> And she was just like, well, that's not too bad because that's better than before, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it was because it wasn't a very big bag. Um, but she said that to me. And, and it was just a piece of helping me to see that there are people who are further down the road that can help me out of my blind spots. That's what sponsorship does to me or does for me. It helps me to understand the steps. It helps me to understand the program. But it, but you develop a really intimate relationship that they know who you are. And I've heard the, the definition of intimacy is into me you see. It does become an intimate relationship. And so they can say in a loving way things to me that other people might not be able to say because I will get real defensive and I don't want to hear it. And... um and I won't tell you that, that I don't want to hear it. I'll just be all sweet and lie. <laughs> like, it doesn't bother me. Um, so, and, and that's helped me to grow. To have somebody be honest with me and say, you're making things up. Or, you need to write. Write, call me back later. Um, so, it pushes me to grow in ways and to be of service to others. Yeah, um anything's possible um, doing the program without a sponsor or the steps, but it's not for me. It wouldn't work. You know, you need the sponsor. You need someone else. I need someone outside of myself um, and a higher power to show me the program and, and what they've done. You know, that's what we do. We share our strength, experience and hope. Just one more thing. It, it was probably the most frightening thing for me to do was to actually talk honestly about my life to another human being that was more than just um, surface stuff. And, and yet I was accepted and loved and um, found that I was not the person who I thought I was. I thought I was going to get beaten up when I did my fourth and fifth steps, and that didn't happen. Do you make room to grieve giving up um, certain foods? Do you make room to grieve giving up certain foods? Yes. <laughs> I still do. I still have cravings. You know, I'll see something and I'll be like, and there's, there's only one 
certain food that's on my um, abstinence list, and I prayed about it for probably two years. Um, could I live a life without eating these little things that come in baskets? Um, and I wasn't real sure that I could, but, it, but but they told me in the program was just to pray for the willingness, pray for the willingness, pray for the willingness, and that's what I kept on praying for. And then my sponsor had said, do you think that this is working for you? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> and I knew it was coming, that she was going to ask me, and she did. And I gave it up, and it and it was okay because I'd been praying. And but but were there tears? Yeah, I, I've cried over losing food. <laughs> I like food. Um, I follow the OA How program, and we abstain from alcohol as well as white flour and sugar, and um, I might be leaving something out. And that was a really hard one for me. The alcohol. I wasn't an alcoholic, but why did I have to give up alcohol? So, um, you know, and I find myself from time to time thinking still, well, you know, why can't I have that? And it's funny because I could go to a different program and have it. But, um, yeah, I, I, I saw the bit too big of the picture, and it is one day at a time. Everything was just magnified all the time, and you have to center it down because it's everywhere it's on tv it's on facebook um you know i'm not even talking about food but um so so i guess there is a little grieving there and and when i'm in my ego it's it's magnified and when i'm with god it's it's gone does each sponsor give out a similar food plan and are there similarities between food plans? Um, I follow the OA How, and I've been in for four years. So, yes, we follow a specific food plan. And basically it's, um, it's um, three meals a day, nothing in between, um, one day at a time. They call us the 301s. And... Um, and I don't, that, I don't know about, I can't really speak on anyone else's food plan. That's what we follow. My food plan was, came out of the dignity of choice, and I think I started with one of the balanced meals that didn't work. And so I actually moved to the high protein, and that's the one that I still follow. But it doesn't match what my sponsor does. My sponsor does something else. And my sponsor always tells me that I need to keep the eye on my food plan and not other people's food plans um, that – you know, everybody has something different, and everybody's trying to get to the place that they need to be. Um, so I think that that's just the diversity of the program. I've been struggling with HP issues, which seems to be the integral part of the program. How do I work the program if I'm an atheist and don't want... Um, to believe in any sentient HP. Um, yeah, I came in with a already with a higher power, and um, twenty years ago, in the other program, I thought it was my duty to get everyone on the same page where I was with my higher power. And um, coming into this program, I know that's not what we do. Just read the big book. And um, so they say in the big book, and I've heard 
other people say, believe that, can you believe that we believe in a higher power? So that could be your higher power. I don't know if I'm answering the question. Um, you know, I, I, I know that even, I think possibly atheists would even think there's powers greater than themselves. Otherwise, you know, um, anyway, that's what I have to say. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I, I came from a family of, um, well, my mother was psychotic, so that had its own religion. Um, and my sister and the rest of my family was pretty much atheist. And so for the longest time, I wanted to be um, probably atheist and saw myself as a- atheist. But what I noticed was that when I, I guess my higher power would be nature and connecting to nature and connecting to the how magnificent this world is. And when I connect to that and I believe in that, that, that basically it's a good world. I'm not being Pollyanna in the sense that I, I know that there's pain and there's a lot of hardship and stuff like that, but that overall this is a beautiful world and that there's something really, really good here. When I connect with that, it works. It helps me. And so that's what I connect to, and that's what I believe in, and that's kind of how I deal with it. I am brand new, six days. Any special suggestions, especially finding a sponsor? Right. Um, congratulations. That's the hardest part is coming through the doors. <laughs> um, keep coming back. Um, I ended up going to meetings. Um, when I fi- finally found the phone meetings, I started going to them. And actually my phone carrier, that was still before cell phones, um, contacted me and said, well, we didn't really mean that you could have that much long-distance free time. <laughs> because I was on meetings all day long. <laughs> listening to meetings. So get to as many meetings as you can and uh, pitch. The more that I pitch, the more that I talk, the more um, that I felt like I belonged. And I think get a sponsor. That was something I did not do. And I think I would have been further along had I. So it takes a while to find the right right person that works for you. Um. Yeah, congratulations, because you're already at a convention. So uh, conventions, like I said, blew my mind when I came. It was amazing. And not that I didn't like what I was hearing in the rooms or the people that were going to the meetings, but it's just I saw men, I saw women. Um, I heard all sorts of um, great, great things that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to hear. Not everyone's able to come to a convention, so that's good. And... um, what else about, oh, get a sponsor. Look for someone um, who has what something that attracts you, what they're saying, um, you know. Uh, my first sponsor came up to me and said, do you need a sponsor because I'm available? And I was like, yes, good, because I don't have to ask anybody. And um, But I also, something wasn't working quite right there, and I saw through another member 
who had changed sponsors, I found her strength. I saw strength in what she did. And I thought, you know what? I'm not happy in this relationship. I need to get someone who's going to, you know, nurture me the way I need to be nurtured. Some people need someone who's on top of them. Some people need more compassion. It's just what you feel like you need. And, um, and, but yeah, just keep coming back, go to different meetings. She mentioned the phone meetings. There's great phone meetings going on. Um, go to the Overeaters Anonymous website, and it's all sorts of stuff on there. There's podcasts, amazing podcasts on there that you can listen to from conventions and conferences and all sorts of stuff, people all over the world. Do you have a morning quiet time routine? And what's your favorite part? And um, let's start with that. Um, My morning time is I get up, I have a cup of coffee, and then I meditate for 20 to 30 minutes. Um, And then I go and I walk my dogs. Um, And I do that pretty much every day. And it's taken me a while to get there. And I think my favorite part is after sitting in meditation for probably 15, maybe even 20 (laughs) minutes, then I'll get a little bit of quietness in settling. Um, And that's a wonderful thing to get because I know what I've experienced is that I get this contentment and this ability to respond to myself and to others. Um, And so even if it's a bad meditation, which I have plenty I know I'm still going to get good stuff later in the day. <laughs> and and I love it because I, I can bank on it. And sometimes, you know, I'll get insights, but um, not always. Most of the time it's I just am kinder and gentler and more responsive to myself and others. Um, I have four teenagers, so there's not a lot of meditating going on in my house. But... Um, Let's see, I wake up, and what I've tried to do because of the conferences and conventions I've been to um, of OA and the meetings and hearing you guys share is I wake up, and it used to be before I even got out of bed, I would say the third step prayer, and I made myself learn that one because everyone at the conferences knew it, and I didn't know it, so I learned it. And, um, And now I like the long version of the serenity prayer, and um So sometimes I'm saying it before I get out of bed, and sometimes I'm saying it when I'm doing my morning routine. And then I have my coffee. And then I, um, and, but you know, it would be really smart of me to wake up earlier to get that time for me. And sometimes I do beat everybody up, but yeah, that's what I do. What's the most challenging part of your morning quiet time and morning routine? I think for me is if I'm busy, um, I, I can I don't do it as often as I used to. But if I'm busy, then I can make excuses as to why I don't need to do it that day. You know, and it's taken me a long time to understand that even if I think I don't need it, I need it. Um, but there's always those pressures. I was going to joke and say my four teenagers, but um, you know, actually they're they're not too bad in the morning. You know who's bad? The two cats and the dog, they're bad. And it's, unless I grab that time, I'm putting a dog out. 
I'm feeding a cat. I'm petting a cat. I'm playing with the cat. So, you know, discipline. Maybe I need to shut the door or go outside in God's nature and, and just sit. Pet him out there in nature. That would be meditating right there. And this is going to be our last question. So for the ones that we didn't get to, I'm hoping that sometime in the weekend you'll get your question answered. How do you stay abstinent when big life changes and life-changing events happen? Um, yeah, I knew God told me. Um, when I joined this program, when my parents get sick and die, I still have my parents. Um, when my kids start going to high school, when this happens, when that happens, the world might be chaotic around me, but my food plan is going to be good. And you know what? So far, so good. It's not perfect all the time, but, um, yeah. Um, I can't remember the question, but. Okay. So my father got ill and he passed away. But um, the hard thing, that was hard. But the, the harder thing that had happened is, is that the person who he was in love with um, was um, taking money from him and not giving him pain medication. And that was very, very difficult for me to walk through. And I walked through that by be, staying really in close contact with my sponsor and um, going to lots of meetings, talking to people, doing a lot of writing, a lot of praying, a lot of praying um, for the the person who was involved with my father. And, um, and then I was supposed to go to the business convention, and I didn't want to go. Like he had just died, and it was just coming up, and my sponsor was like, you need to go. You need to go. And it was absolutely the best thing for me. Um, cause I was around other people and I didn't need to talk about it. Um, because I, I was still pretty confused myself and pretty numb. Um, and then my, um, cousin had passed away also. I got notified when I was down there that he had passed away, um, unexpectedly. And it just, the program gives me a plan. I wake up, I plan my food. I commit my food to my sponsor, and then I live my life, and when things come up, I do the the piece in the big book that says, you know, that you just stop. And for me, it's like I stop, I take a deep breath, I turn it over, and I ask God to tell me, give me a hunch, give me intuitive thought of what I need to do. And if I can do that and stick with it, then usually I always get that answered. And sometimes it's just do whatever the next right thing is. And then things clear up a little bit later. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. We're going to close the session. And you know what? One of the choices we have is a third-step prayer. Would you lead us? Great.